you know, I was 18 and I just had graduated high school and I was really just riding around smoking weed all the time. Welcome to the Gary Scott Thomas Show. Here's what we know. The podcast with unexpected conversations. Listen each week as we engage in unscripted conversations where we'll be just as surprised as you will be with where the dialogue goes. So join us each week and be privy to the captivating conversations that are sure to ensue. Here's your host, Gary Scott Thomas. Let me start off this episode of Here's What We Know by making an admission. I love comedians. I love comedy and I love comedians. I think it is an underappreciated art form, even though some of the richest people in the world are comedians. It's still a ball busting job that is underappreciated. And most of us, 98% of us couldn't do it. This guy can, as he cleans up dishes at Denny's, which is what he's doing sorry, right now. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's Dusty Slay. How are you, big guy? I'm doing great. I appreciate you having me. I'm so pumped to be here. Dude, well, I just saw you were on Jay Cutler's podcast, and I, you know, this is going to be such a hell of a letdown. Oh, no. I'm so pumped to be here. You know what? When I was talking to you the other day on the radio, I had such a fun time. Well, I just, I love comedy and I love comedians and, and I love the whole art and craft behind it. And I love seeing how you develop your own style. And so I've been deep diving on you and I've been watching the stuff that you've been put out. And it's just fun to me, watch you grow. Well, yeah, I mean, I appreciate it. And I, you know, I mean, I like that too. I mean, I like to be able to, that's a fun thing about kind of documenting what I've been doing through traveling and through different videos is being able to see uh, growth. You know, I mean, you know, there's been many times in my career where I think this is the, I'm the best right now that I'm ever going to be. This is wonderful. How can I get better? And I mean, I mean that in the most humble way. I just mean, this is what I do. And I feel very good about what I'm doing. And then I look back and I go, Oh, that wasn't even good. I, I'll be honest with you. And, it, and it's especially because we're in the entertainment industry, right? So I've been, I've been on the air here for a long time. And so I've decided to start archiving my bits, right? And, and, and going back, I started on this in 1991. And going back and hearing some of the bits that I did back in the nineties. And my wife was like, what do you think? And you know, we're always our own, our own harshest critic. And I said, I wasn't a fan. And I tell you why. I don't even know if I know that guy anymore. I'm talking about me yeah. from the nineties. I'm like, I don't even, I don't have anything in common with him. Right. Cause at that time, my life was at a completely different stage. And I sit back and look at it and listen to it. And I'm like, I'm, I, I would possibly be one willing to throat punch that guy. Oh yeah. I mean, I know exactly what you mean. I got videos that, 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 that even I can go back to 2015 when I first started working the road and I'm like, why do I sound like that? Why am I talking like that? And then I can go back further with, I used to carry a camcorder around with me when I was drinking all the time. And I watched those videos and I think the exact same thing. I think me now would hate me in 2001. And really, honestly, you would hope that would be the case, right? I mean, not all of us, <laughs> yeah. not all of us get to live this beautiful, charmed life that I'm sure Tom Brady loves him from 2001 as much as he loves him today, right? Uh, yeah, but, yeah, but, I but bet the, so. It, but the majority of us, I mean, you go through screwing up, and I think you and I are a lot alike. I am from rural Alabama. I know where the hell Opelika is. I am from Florella. Oh, yes. Yeah. Right. And so it, oh, yeah. I was laughing because my my Florida, Florella got its name because it's on the Florida, Alabama line. Florella. Get it. And, uh, and oh, yeah. the, the town across the wing was Paxton. Paxton had about 500 people in it. I remember talking to my mother one time because I thought she was from Paxton, too. And she goes, I'm not from Paxton. I'm from Liberty. And Liberty has about 30 people in it. And she was insulted <laughs> that I would put her from the big city. Oh yeah. You know, and, and I grew up, I grew up desperately poor. 
I mean, I can remember we had, we lived in a house that had cardboard walls. I'm not even lying. You could scratch the paint off and see Charmin, the Charmin box. Oh, man. Uh, true story. Uh, yeah. But, but you, you, but so when you go that and, and you get to leave that life and you get to go from being a certain, there's a caste system that evolved that that is in every society. I don't care who you are, there, and, and and in the South and small towns even more so. And I knew that I would never get out of that caste system, at least in my mind. And maybe I was overthinking it. But when I got out of it and got to have some success, I will tell you, I did not handle it well. And and all of a sudden, people wanted to buy you a drink or girls wanted to, to spend time with you. That's to say, when I sit back and look at that guy and go, I didn't like that guy. And I'm so glad I'm not him. But if it weren't for him, I wouldn't be me today. Yeah, I mean, and that that is absolutely true. I mean, I, I feel like that I, you know, I can look at people that I went to high school with that I envied because it felt like they were already so in control of their lives. They felt confident. I Just looking at them, I thought, that, well, they know who they are. They feel confident. They got, and I don't feel like I can ever be that. But now I know some of those people and they were, you know, they were not. I send the nice now, but I mean, I feel like they never grew. They just were already where they wanted to be, and they've been not exactly where they're at today. But me, coming from what I thought was way back, way behind them, I got to grow, and, and I got to make all these mistakes, and I got to do all these stupid things, and then I learned from it, and I feel that I, like I've, I've passed them in a way, maybe not financially, maybe not in many ways, but mentally, I feel like I passed them and that feels good to me. Now, they may still look at me and not feel that way at all, but <laughs> that is how I feel. Yeah. And I feel like it's because I had to learn things. I didn't, I wasn't just born with those things. That's I mean, my parents taught me a lot, but they didn't teach me a ton about life, you know? That's a true story. You know that there's people who look, who you know, that we think they peaked in high school, and yet it's still true. They look at you and me and go, well, hell, at least I'm not Gary or Dusty. Thank God. <laughs> right, right, right. Thank God. Exactly. Thank God I didn't go down that path. <laughs> exactly. They're, sitting, they're, they're a lawyer sitting in a mansion going, man, I'm glad I'm not a comedian. Yeah, exactly right. I'm glad I'm not having to get up and do a damn podcast early in the morning after being up all night. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not yeah. doing that. Well, you say your parents did, because uh, I just find, I think everybody has a great story. I think everybody has an interesting story, but we don't think it's interesting to us because it's our story. And so when you say your parents taught, can I ask, did your parents stay together? Are they still together? Well, what's the situation? Oh, no, that? they divorced when I was like two or three. It's not clear. My dad says three, but I heard two for a long time. So. <laughs> I don't know when it was. <laughs> you know, isn't it isn't it weird if you go and look at how many comedians are from I like to say disheveled backgrounds, family lives? Uh, because you do, I, I think humor is a coping mechanism. And I think it gets sharpened. Rarely do you find people who are and I guess Robin Williams might have been people who grew up rich and then became funny. You know, who got famous, you know, and stuff like that. Right. That, you know, there's there's the Robin Williams of the world. There's the Will Ferrells. But I think they're I think they are the exception instead of the rule. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, you know, you, you you cope with things by, by making people laugh like it's like you 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 may not. I mean, like. I always felt like my life was happy. You know, I felt like I had a happy childhood, but it was definitely not ordinary. You know, I think about just um, even how much the divorce affects my life even to this day. Like like this year, it didn't happen, but I, I planned and everybody agreed to me hosting Thanksgiving and my mom and dad coming to the same one Ooh. rather than me having to go to both. Ooh. But my entire, yeah, yeah. But my, I'm, I'm 39. My entire life of Thanksgiving has either been I choose one of the parents to go to or I try to do both in one day. And that's my entire life. And see, I got, I got older sisters and I got a younger sister and they're actually not related to each other. We have, we have this, my older sisters, we have the same mom, different dad. My younger sister, we have the same dad, different mom. So, there's no, I got no siblings that share my parents. Wow. So, You're the singular event. 
Yeah. So they're trying to, you know, nobody's trying to bring that family together. And that's what I was trying to do this year, but it didn't work out, but it didn't work out because everybody got sick, but they all agreed to it. And I just think how much that's affected my, my life, my entire life and still does. And, you know, and then I think, Oh, somebody that just grew up with two parents that, I mean, how, how nice would that have been? Um, and then, so I, I, I just use this comedy, I think in ways to cope with it that I didn't even realize. And, you know, it's like stuff like that. And I'm average height, but people always say to me, they go, Oh, I thought you'd be taller. I'm like, yeah, if I were taller, I probably wouldn't be doing comedy or they go, cause tall guys, women like tall guys, right? There's no need to be, no need to be funny if you're tall. And then. And they say, oh, do you play music? And I'm like, no, if I played music, I wouldn't be doing comedy. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. it's like this, all these things lead to you doing comedy. At the end of the day, once so many things have been thrown at you, you just learn how to make jokes about it. And then, like, I did a show last night in Nashville where I, I emceed a music event for a record label. And all of the people in the audience were just industry people. And none of them were into my comedy, right? Not not that my comedy's bad, but I don't yeah. think they're into anything. Uh -huh. They're just there to watch the musicians to see if they want to sign somebody or whatever. And people, a couple of people came up, they go, man, that was a tough crowd. And, and But to me, I'm like, oh, that doesn't bother me at all. I don't care at all. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I'm just. I just do so much comedy that it's almost fun when you find an audience that doesn't really get into what you're doing. Like a part of me is like, Oh, this is pretty fun. Like I'm on the defense now. Hey, listen, I, I want to, I want to mine this vein because I think this is a brilliant topic, right? Because I don't care who you are. If you do something in the entertainment industry, especially something as live wire, high wire as comedy, you are going to bomb. You are going to fail. I have, I have sit back and seen, uh, people, the biggest names in comedy. George Collin talks about when he failed. Kevin Hart talked about he was failing so bad that one of his fellow comedians saved him by walking out and throwing a comic but throwing a phone book at him and go look up and call whoever's in the phone book because they'll be better than you are right and, oh, and he goes man. it was so funny that it made everybody <laughs> laugh and he goes i literally walked off the stage because i knew what he was doing he was taking the onus off of me so i mean this is everybody has failed and you're the first person who's ever sat back and said that doesn't bother me at all you know i i because i do so much comedy how did you get there well, it, it it is about doing so much comedy and also doing well most of the time, right? Like if I were bombing all the time, it would be it would really get old, and I would not like it. But when I'm do doing well most of the time, and then I encounter an audience that's not into what I'm doing, in my mind, I just go, "What's wrong with this crowd? Like, why did they not like that?" That's the healthy way. That right there is how yeah. you survive, kids. Right there, Dusty just told you how to survive. <laughs> yeah, and then and then I, but it puts me in that place of like, you know, like childhood, where I'm like, "Oh, I gotta try to win them over." You know, I gotta try to make this work for me, and it's like. I, you know, I've not mastered it, but I, I feel I feel like I've gotten pretty good at finding out how to make fun of the audience for not laughing, how to make fun of myself without going too far. Because you can badger the audience in a way where you're like, why are you not laughing? Why are you not laughing? To a point to where the audience wants to go, because you're not funny, right? <laughs> but, but I feel like that I can... You know, at the end of the show last night, because I was just emceeing, I was just doing small spots. Yeah. And at the end of the show, I go, I just want you all to know that I am a professional comedian. And all of these jokes that I've done tonight have worked before in the past. I was like, I want you to know, I'm not bringing mediocre jokes up here, okay? <laughs> but you are bringing me a mediocre audience. I'm telling you that right yeah. now. The only people who failed in this room right now are you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> some some girl came up to me mid midway and goes, "Oh, you're trying, you're trying," and I wanted I wanted to go up and go, you know, I'm not trying, I'm doing. Uh, it's the audience that's letting me down. You know, I just Bill Burr on a podcast once said that he almost prefers an audience who doesn't know him or is a little bit against him. 
because because he feels that's where his fun lies. He goes, if you go up in front of a crowd that loves you, he goes, all you got to do is just say something and they laugh. And he goes, there's there's yeah. no fun in that. He goes, that's the problem that big comedians who play who play stadiums end up having because there's there's just nothing there. People are going to laugh no matter what you say. So you don't know if it's really good comedy. But when you go up against that crowd that's a little hostile or worse yet indifferent, right? Winning yeah. them over, man, that's where the juices get flowing, huh? Yeah, I mean, especially for a Bill Burr type comedian where he 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 is aggressive. Like I I, I kind of describe it as like a an aggressive like like a likable aggressiveness. Um, and it's like, yeah, I can see if the audience doesn't like him, he can kind of like yell and get them on his side. And and for me, it's like I always liked being the middle act because. I, my name is not on the poster. My name's not on the on the building. No one knows who I am. So I have to come out and prove to the audience that I'm funny and win them over. But now as a headliner, everybody's like, oh, I've seen this guy. This guy's funny, and he's going to be funny tonight. So your only challenge is not letting them down. Yeah, They're there for you. And I'm not quite at the level where I think anything I say is funny to people, but I can see how that happens to where you're like, oh, you know, I don't even know if this is funny or not. And and there is something to the challenge to being like, you know, it's like like on a date or something like that. If you're flirting with someone in a bar and you and you're like, oh, I want to make them laugh and you make them laugh. It's like that's all. I mean, that's a that's a score in itself. You know, there is no better aphrodisiac than making a woman laugh you know, because you're yeah. right. You're right. I mean, think about this when it comes to musician. Tom Petty got more women than you and I will ever have in our entire life. <laughs> you take a guitar yeah. away from Tom Petty and put him in the Jiffy Lube and see how many <laughs> girls he gets. Right? I mean, and I love Tom Absolutely. Petty. I love Tom Absolutely. Petty with all my heart. But the idea that Tom Petty can go, yeah, baby. And and Luke Combs currently in the country music. Luke Combs, if Luke Combs is moving furniture. Right. You don't pay right. any attention to him, but you put him on stage and the women throw everything they have at him. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely true. And, uh, you know, and that I think that about I, mean, I don't know, I think it about myself, but in, in, in a way. But it's like I like I never could go to the club and, and pick up any any women like I'm not going to go in and. And I don't walk into the bar and women go, ooh, check out that guy, right? <laughs> hey, but so the, so the music's too loud, and i got to be able to dance, which I can't do. So you give me a dive bar, though, where I can actually have some conversation, I'm much better. Hey, listen, I was I used this line on my wife when I was dating her. I told her the same thing. I said, I will never go into a bar, and you and your friends are going to turn around and go, who's that? I said, but I'll tell you this. If you and I together five years from now, your friends are going to go, where did you find him? Oh, yeah. That's, oh, that's good. That's where, that's where I, I know I'm at. I said, because that's, that's where, where, where you and I are going to be. But if you can, if you can make a woman laugh, and I've always told this to guys, I would have to go work bars, right? And I go work bars and, and my job is just to walk up the table and talk to people for a couple of minutes. And I go up to gr- groups of women and, and, and make them laugh for a couple of minutes and, and do little just improv stupid stuff and then walk away. Say, Hey, hope you guys have a good time tonight and then walk away. And I can't tell you how many times sometime during the evening, one of those women at the bar with the table come and go can i buy you a drink and i'd be like and oh, i yeah i also had this thing that i never picked up a woman at a bar that was just my own proclivity i didn't want to be known as that guy so i would always be very kind and go hey i appreciate it I, i'm married or i got a girlfriend or but thank you i hope you have a great time tonight and you know and and but it was amazing and all i did was just make them laugh and walk away right that's yeah well that's so good that's something that uh i Took me a long time to like learn that that kind of idea of that, but also I was such a bad binge drinker that I could go into the bar, make people laugh, have a really good time with a girl, and by the end of the night, I'm belligerent and it's all over, and I'm still thinking I'm hilarious. I don't know what's gone wrong. <laughs> I'm sweating a bit more, but I don't know why she's not into me. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, and, and that was that. See, I, 
I, I'm lucky that I never did the binge drinking, right? Because I, I grew up the child of an alcoholic. I, I saw, I saw, and, me oh, and, yeah. and I've got a brother and four sisters, right? So, and none of us ended up with, with dependency problems because I think we all grew up. And, and again, I, genetics is part of it. And I completely agree with that. But I also think that we all saw where it ended up, that this is where this, this road ends is right there. Uh, and so I was always able to, avoid that did you because you you say you you know you grew up in the trailer park i mean we we've talked about that uh was that was was that something you faced on a daily basis was just the alcohol use and abuse well really for me i think it's the opposite see my mom and dad both on their own were casual drinkers i barely ever saw my dad drink my mom would party a bit but I never saw any bad sides to alcohol. Maybe I was just very naive as a kid, but everybody around me that drank was just having fun. Like my mom had some boyfriends that drank and, you know, I remember they would come over and they would, I remember a guy built a deck for us having beers all day and they would go hunting and I would hang out at the hunting cabin with them and people would be drinking, but everything seemed fun, you know? So I just didn't see the bad side. So when I hit the bar, I'm like, well, I'm doing what, you know, what the other adults around me did, but I just got into it. Like a couple of beers get into my system and I'm ready to party. I told people after I quit drinking for about a year, I almost relapsed in a church one time because they had a communion shot that I thought was grape juice and it was wine. And I sat down in the pew like, am I about to go to happy hour? You know what I mean? <laughs> God is good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it felt good. I mean, it was running through my body, and I was like, this is what I'm talking about. You know, I'll have another. See, now that's a good point because, as I said, uh, my brother and my sisters didn't have any alcoholic or drug problems, but we have had it happen amongst their children. Oh, yeah. And that's a good point you bring up because they never saw the downside like we saw. They never right. saw where, where it would go. And, and, and I have, I have young kids. I have a 10 and a 12 year old. And, uh, and that's the thing that I, that's a good point that I need to sit down and say, and, I, and I've tried to sit back and say this to them. They're, my father was a train wreck, and nobody ever talks to him. He's just, when, when I die, the last of the memories die of him. Because we just don't talk about it. Yeah. And, right. and I try to, I try to let my kids know, listen, that's where that leads. That your grandmother, my mother died in 1996 and we talk about her as if she's here today and you never met her, but your grandfather, you don't know anything about because he eclipsed himself from the family. And that's what happens when you let it get away from you. Right. So I need to bring, I need to bring yeah. that up better. Yeah, I mean, it's like, I mean, I talk about it because, I, you know, I, I love to talk about because people, I think, are dealing with uh, addiction like never before these days. And so I'm pretty open about, you know, I don't you know, I'm not I'm not preaching about it, but I am open that I, I've it's been 10 years since I drank and my life is way better because of it. And and I had a blast drinking. It wasn't like there was it wasn't dark. I, mean, I blacked out a bunch, but it wasn't really dark. I had a blast. But my life is better without, you know, and I think it's also harder for kids now because when I was started drinking, there was no flavored drinks. There was there was a Zima that you could put a Jolly Rancher in, but you know the, the first the first liquor that we bought, we got somebody to go to the liquor store and they bought us Everclear, and we were taking shots of it, so we had to work to get drunk. Now they have. What do they call it? White claws, which is like liquor and a, you know, I'm like, come on. It's too they easy. Al they have alcohol that's not only flavored, but it won't get you fat. Zero carbs. No, no. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's just mind blowing. You made me think of that because we didn't have the flavor. You know what? You know what the idea of flavored alcohol was when I was a kid? Southern comfort. All right. <laughs> right yeah, Southern yeah. comfort is whiskey with sugar and cinnamon in it. And it's as horrible. And there's going to be people who write me letters and go, no, it's not. It's great. You can be wrong. I don't care. 
It's it, it's horrible, but it was it was for those of us, and I'm one of them, who don't like whiskey, and 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 so they tried to cover up the taste by making it taste just a little less horrible and more a uh, sweetly horrible, you know, in that kind of scenario. Yeah. I mean, we were drinking and at 16, 17, you know, taking shots, throwing up, laughing. You know, I mean, we had to work for it. <laughs> and, you know, the hangovers today, I don't think, again, I'm not I'm not being bitter and I'm not being that guy. But I think the hangovers are not as horrific as they were back then. Because if you got drunk on a 99-cent bottle of night train, you paid for it, hot dog. You oh, paid yeah. for it hard. I mean, I remember I, I tried to drink wine one time. I was like, going to be a wine guy. And uh, I had about two glasses of wine, and I was like, well, I got to switch this up. And then I started drinking bourbon and on top of wine, and then I switched back to wine uh, later. And I woke up in my apartment in the living room on my back. That had never happened to me. I woke up. My glasses were thrown across the room, apparently – I tried to walk to my bedroom and my body was just like, we're done. And I just passed right out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not playing with you anymore. Oh, my. The worst hangovers in the world to me have involved rum. And I to this day will not drink rum. Uh, but I remember being in New Orleans and just got plowed on uh, hurricanes, which is mainly rum. And I can remember from seven in the morning until about three 30 in the afternoon, sitting in the bathroom, throwing up and then putting my head on the tile because it was cool. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, and I mean, yeah. It's like, yeah, when you're sweating and yeah, I mean, and that's that promise to God we all make, right? God, you just please stop. I'll never do this again. I've kept that. I said, I'll never drink rum again. And I've kept that promise. Me and the Lord knows we're good on that. Well, I stopped lying to God about that sort of stuff, and I just say, just help me through it. You Amen. know, that's I, I, <laughs> I just, I'm not going to make promises I can't keep, but do help me, please help me. <laughs> has, now, coming from Opelika, hey, let me ask you this: Has the accent? Because I think people underestimate people with an accent. You and I both know Killer Bees, and and Bees has got the thickest accent God ever laid <laughs> on a person. But I'll also tell you this: He is literally one of the smartest men I know, and I know doctors, I know physicists, I know I I, I live in Silicon Valley, I know a lot of really smart people. And he still is one of the smartest people I've ever known. But they underestimate him because of the accent. Yeah, I mean, I think that does happen a lot. I don't know Killer Bees as well, but I have heard that thing about him before. But I, And I've also heard that he's like an amazing sharpshooter. Like, mm-hmm. like uh, I don't know. So I think that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I didn't know that either. And that's, But, I, yeah, I mean, I think people do underestimate the accent. Uh, mine fades here and there. It depends on where we're at in the country, uh, where people think it sticks out or not. But, uh, I do think that, you know, but I, I like it. I, oftentimes I wish my accent were thicker because I love to be underestimated. I think that's the best thing. I, uh, my, cause I'm from rural Alabama and my wife, when she'll go home with me every now and then, cause she grew up in the mid, in the Midwest, I literally have to translate for some of my relatives, for her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> she, you know, something will happen, and he'll go, what? she'll go, what What did he say? I said, he asked you if you would like to go out for dinner, is what he asked you. But, you know, you, I know you didn't understand it. Okay, we're going to come back and talk more about the South, and we're going to talk more about growing up and working in restaurants. We're going to come back with more Here's What We Know. Dusty Slay right after this. If you're enjoying this podcast, then maybe you'd like to hear more. Gary Scott Thomas hosts the morning show at 95.3 KRTY in San Jose, and you can tune in at krty.com. At 8.30 each weekday morning, Gary and Julie talk to artists, songwriters, and industry insiders. You'll hear from people like Garth Brooks and Luke Combs, new stars like Ingrid Andrus and Maren Morris, and songwriters like Shane McAnally, Lori McKenna, and Luke Laird. You'll find the best in country music on the South Bay's Best Country, krty.com So, your career actually started in restaurants. Oh yeah, I mean, I I, I would love to say this, 
uh, on that. My wife is Canadian, and she also has that problem with a couple of my relatives. My sister, if she talks to my sister on the phone, she almost can't understand what she's saying. We're at she's it. Like, I, We're she at- hates. She doesn't even want to talk to her on the phone just because of that reason. Not because she doesn't want to talk to her, but because it's so weird that she can't understand what she's saying. <sighs> We're at in Canada. Do you go? Do you go home with her? Uh, yeah, I've been there several times. She's from Ontario. Um, north, she's up from Peterborough, Ontario, which is about an hour north of Toronto. Uh, it's very cold up there. <laughs> but I love it. I love Canada. I think it's really fun. It's really nice, and as long as you're not a trucker, I mean, I guess it's... Yeah, uh, yeah. Hey. <laughs> well, I haven't been there in a while. I don't know what it's like these days, but uh, I don't you know. Know, prior to 2020, I had a blast. Speaking of which, with your wife, is it hard to date or easy to date? What What is the dating life of a comedian? And I bring this up because I had this conversation with a late Richard Jenny years ago. Right. And I don't even know if you know that name, but uh, it was a very famous comedian. He I do in, know the name. I yeah, don't know him. He was yeah. in The Mask with Jim Carrey. There's a time in the 90s and the early 2000s. He was in everything. And uh, he was talking about he had just got married. And he uh, he said, it's just so hard to date his comedian. He goes, because there's the unreal expectations that women who meet you at comedy clubs have. And he goes, and, and they, they can't separate the fact that this is what I do for work. But I'm not sitting there telling Joe the entire time you're with me. And in fact, he goes, I'm pretty serious and pretty quiet when I'm not doing this stuff. I com- Comedy is a very hard work, and hard, hard job, and I approach it that way. And he goes, so it's kind of weird, and then they want to do something during the day, and I don't have time for it, right? What was your right. experience like uh, dating as a comedian? Well, I mean, I, I, I you know, I had a, you know, I, I quit drinking in 2012, and then I got uh, started dating my wife in 2015. So I just had a three year window there where I was out on the dating scene. And I don't know, I, I feel like I'm pretty good at being funny all the time because my comedy is so much like who I am in real life that it's easy to, uh, you know, it's like, I mean, obviously when you get on stage, I guess you're in a little bit of a character form, but if I'm, you know, but, but I'm pretty much myself. I mean, you have to be somewhat of a character because in life, you don't just walk up to people, take a microphone and go, I'm going to do all the talking. You just sit there, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, but I don't know. My wife used to do comedy too. So oh, like, see, now that helps, right? Yeah. So she gets it too. And, uh, so, you know, for a long time, our dating was just, you know, she went on the road with me and we went to all these different cities and she being from Canada had not been to a lot of places in the U S. So we're just traveling around the country, seeing all these different, you know, even towns that I haven't seen. I mean, I grew up in Alabama, you know, and my family, we didn't travel. We would go to Gatlinburg sometimes or maybe Panama city beach, but that was about it. Ah, growing up, growing up in, in rural Alabama is, is a unique experience. You and I both share that. There's some things you see. There's some names that you come across. I mean, come on. I don't know that many people named Dusty. I will say this though. I have a great nephew named Dusty. Yeah. I mean, there, you know, there's not a lot of Dusties out there, you know, but, uh, there's a few of us. Um, you know, I like that you say great nephew. I got, I've been telling people this. This is funny to me. My mom, is has this uh step great grandson and uh i love that i mean that would be his title to her but i love saying that step great great state step great grandson it's my niece who's not my sister's daughter uh she's married in and it's her son and my mom is kind of raising him and it's hilarious to me to tell people that. You have even a more convoluted family history than most of the people I know. I mean, I, I, I let that slide <laughs> while ago, but I would like to come back to it. All right. I, I do want to come yeah. back to it. That you, your sisters have the same mother and a different father. And then some of them have the same father, but a different mother. And you're the only one that shares the same parents. I, I, that has got to be the weirdest dynamic i mean even as somebody from alabama right and i do have a sister who we share the same father but different mothers 
But but the rest of us, me and my four other sister, three other sisters and brother, we all had the same parents, right? So there's not that one isolated group like you were. Yeah, I mean, my, my dad had a marriage before I was born, and then he married my mom, and they were married for a very, I guess he was married to this first wife for about, I don't know, 10 years or so, and then he married my mom for only about three years, and they had me. But my mom already had two daughters from her first marriage. And my older sisters are 11 years and nine years older than me, but I, I grew up with them. You know, I was my sister, my oldest sister, you know, my mom worked third shift. So my oldest sister, you know, was, was like my, my, my mom, uh, half the time. And, um, and then when I was 18, my dad, uh, got remarried. This was his four. He, he got remarried after my mom and we I had two stepbrothers for about nine years. I grew up with these guys. They were my brothers. And then, uh, they get to, my, my dad gets divorced from that lady and then they're just gone. So these, these brothers that I had for nine years just disappeared, you know, <laughs> and just, uh, and then, uh, do you have any contact with them at all? I mean, do you have, you have no contact with them at all, at all anymore? Just recently, I did a show in Auburn, and one of the stepbrothers, the one that I was closest to, he's just a year older than me. He came to the show. So we got to hang out for a bit, and that's the first time I had seen him in probably 20 years. Wow. See, now, because my my mother got remarried and to my first stepfather, but he had grown children when I was a kid. Now, you have to understand, I'm like you. I call it an oops baby. My oldest sister is 18 years older than me, right? And and yeah. the story goes is, Gary, they weren't even talking to each other when they got pregnant with you. You were just a Thanksgiving meal that got out of hand. And that's all you want. <laughs> yeah. and, and that's how when you say, how do you have great nephews? Because my my oldest nephew is a year and a half younger than me, and he has two grandchildren the same age as my kids. Those would be my great, great nephews. Wow. Think about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's it's unbelievable. My my granddad was born in 1900 and he had my dad when he was uh 47. So my dad was born in 1947 and then I was born in 1982. My grandfather was dead. I never met him, but it's like my my dad is so much younger than his siblings that all my first cousins are my dad's age. So, Absolutely. I mean, yeah, it's every, all every, so spread out. Everybody that I grew up thinking was my cousins were actually my, my the, the children of my cousins. You know, that they, that wow. they, yeah, because, because I thought they were my cousins, but no, their parents were actually my cousins. So it was, it oh, was, yeah. it was weird. But now does the family, cause, cause I have to say this is interesting, Dusty. We're, we're, we're this is just interesting. Like I said, I think it's fascinating. So do the other kids who have other parental groups, do they still have both parents and do they get together? Like my, like my sisters, like your sisters, and you know, if the ones who shared, like you share the mother, but different fathers. Well, did those did those parents ever do stuff with those kids, or does everybody just stay in their lane and we don't act like that exists anymore? Or you know, and the same thing yeah. when you had the different, you know, because you're the only ones with my, your mother and father. Yeah, I think my sisters have somewhat of a relationship with their dad, but not really. He's gone on. He has a you know another wife too. So everybody just starts all these families. Everybody's got so many families, you know, they're just starting new ones. And it's just like, but my, my family weirdly is despite all of that. I mean, nobody seems to have any like drug problems or alcohol problems. Everybody is just, um, you know, they just can't seem to stay married. My sister's now, My sisters have been married a long time. They actually, both of my older sisters have been married, I don't know, 20 years or more. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I got my nephew, who's 10 years younger than me, has uh, his son is about a year older than my daughter. So I got started way late. So my daughter's <laughs> going to have some messed up cousin situations, too. Dude, you know what happens? Everybody becomes uncle. 
right? Because I, I had my children later in life. And so I have nephews, nieces. I mean, I have great nephews who are young, but who are significantly older than my, my children. So everybody becomes uncle. Everybody becomes aunt or uncle. Because trying to go oh, through yeah. the whole damn cousin this, cousin that. No, no. They have their cousins, which my wife's brother has a similar age children. Those are their cousins. And the great, great nephews I told you about, those are their cousins because they're in the similar age bracket. So that's what I go by is age bracket. Those are your cousins. Everybody else is aunt and uncle because it's just too damn confusing. Oh, yeah. You know what, though? I'm just realizing as we're talking, I have a great nephew, too. I have I have a great nephew Atta and boy. a step great nephew. Yeah. <laughs> great nephew. <laughs> I'm a great uncle, too. See? <laughs> Look, you just grew in stature right there. That's the, Going down these family things, especially when they're convoluted, and I don't use that word as a pejorative. It, it just is what it is. And the, and people think that divorce is a new thing. You want to know something? Uh, my, uh, I had a cousin of mine who sent me a family history that was written by uh, and, and a, a relative back in the 1930s, 40s, because my my grandparents were dead before I was born and stuff and the same thing. So I have no idea. And there's no pictures or anything. But they did a family history that went back into the, I want to say, 1700s. Dusty, you always hear everybody got married for life, right? I'm telling yeah. you, 80% of 80% of the relatives back then got divorced Multiple times. And this is back in the 1700s, wow. 1800s. It, it was more common na- then than it is now. There, there was only a period of time from like 1930 to 1960 during the puritanical era that you didn't get divorced. But otherwise, people got divorced left and right all the time. It's crazy. Wow, that's unbelievable. I didn't know that. It's, 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 but we all, we paint, we paint it with this. Oh, and here's my thing. I think the good old days is complete horse crap, right? The good <laughs> yeah, old days, there's so. no <laughs> such thing as a good old days, right? I sit back and look about some yeah. of the things that we did and how we lived and stuff like that. And no, 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 no. It might have been a good moment or a good day, but they weren't all good old days. And and going through that with your family history and stuff, yeah, because my thing is, I have one sister. All my sisters have been married all our, except one sister. She's been married four times. She's on she's on the fourth husband, but I told her it doesn't count because she was married to him earlier. They got divorced and now they got remarried. I said, but oh yeah, if this one fails, honey, here's what we need to know. You're not good at it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but the good old days thing, there's a Paul Simon song called Kodachrome where he says, if he took all the girls I knew when I was single, brought them all together for just one night, I know they'd never match my sweet imagination. And it's like, that's exactly right. We all look back and we all go, man, it was good back then. I wish it was good like that. But back then we were complaining too. Oh, and everybody wants to think that you can't make it. There was a poll that came out that said it's so much harder raising children today uh, than than it was for our parents. And my thing is, is, yeah, okay, social media, I give you that. My parents were born during World War One and served in World War Two. I grew up with the threat of nuclear holocaust hanging over our head to the point where we literally built bomb shelters in the backyard and everybody knew about it. But Somehow we think today's worse. <laughs> what? And, and go back. I know. Research we're all drinking the flu. white claws. Yeah. <laughs> research the flu pandemic of 1917. <laughs> We've done this before. Millions of people have died. Yet we all we're also vain to think nothing could be more important and harder than what we're doing right now. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, yeah, we got too many TVs. We're staring at too many screens it's it's tough you, go ahead well you wanted to uh talk about restaurants at one point and yeah. then i went back into talking and then and then i love to talk i worked at a bunch of restaurants and i do love talking about that i love it i again i'm just i'm just getting fascinated by your story so i'm just i am whiplashing left and right but i do love the fact that you started off in restaurants and and you called it a you've worked at a number of places 
Yeah, the first job I had, I and, and you probably remember this, maybe where you're at now, no one even knows about it, but um, I, I my first waiting tables job was at Western Sizzling. <laughs> Western and, and I And I worked there when I was 16. I was the only male server. And the only I was sixteen. The probably the closest to my age was fifty, and um, and 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 when you were sixteen, fifty was real old. Now I'm forty. I'm like that's not old at all. You know what I mean? And uh, hey, and it's like, uh, but it, but you know, back then it seemed that way. And I was, you know, we worked. It was a Western Sizzling right off the interstate near some truck stops. So all the truckers came in there. And they were so disappointed when they got a 16-year-old boy as their server, you know? <laughs> <laughs> did you did you always serve out front, or did you end up being a cook, too? No, actually, my, uh, my sister worked there before me, and she used to date the manager. And so I got a job serving. I went right to the front of the house, you know? <laughs> And, um, Western Sizzling, by the way, known for their onion rings. Oh yeah. Well, what Western Sizzle, what they had, the one that we, that I worked at, they had the yeast rolls. That's what everybody loved was these fat rolls. And they also had fat back, which apparently is fried pieces of fat, which was even too Southern for me. I was like, what is that? <laughs> well, it's that. And it's trying to explain chitlins to people. Right? I oh, mean, yeah. It's, it's deep fried pig intestines in case you're looking for it. Yeah, my, my dad tells me that my granddad used to raise pigs and he, he knew this lady down the street. He said she was real good at cleaning chitlins. So my, so my grandfather would kill a pig and take it down there to her and she was apparently real good at cleaning chitlins. <laughs> you know what you'd do is you'd <laughs> use a garden hose, Dusty. You'd take, uh, you'd take the intestine and hook it up to a garden hose and run the garden hose through it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I mean, it seems disgusting. I'm not interested in it. I don't think I've ever had it. Not interested in trying it. It's, you know, if you didn't know it was in there, if you didn't know what it was, it's like anything else. Have you ever had pig brains? I don't, not that I'm aware of. If you had them, because I, I had them and did not know it was what I was eating, but my, uh, my dad would used to make eggs and I thought sausage and it was pig brains and it was delicious. Oh, wow. If you had delicious, never, yeah. yeah, if you had never had it, you'd go, Oh, wow, this is really good. What is it? And then, you know, at that point, that's when you scream and, and start becoming civil and developing different personalities. Uh, but otherwise, yeah. it's, it's, it's amazing what you can, uh, you can go down with it. Now you worked at Western Sizzling. Give me the lineup of where you've worked at or at different restaurants. Well, I guess, you know, I, I worked at Western Sizzle and then I worked at Papa John's for a while. I delivered pizzas and, uh, you know, that was a lot of fun. I was, you know, I was 18 and I just had graduated high school and I was really just riding around smoking weed all the time. And, um, and my, yeah, I mean, that's really what I was up to. I had, I used to, all my friends were, I don't want to call them losers, but we were all kind of losers at the time, but we had nothing going on. None of us were going to college. And none of us had a job for a while. And then I got a job. So my friends were bored now. And so they would come and meet me at Papa John's and they would go on deliveries with me. And we would just smoke weed together as we rode around. And then my manager told me I wasn't allowed to do that anymore. So I started meeting them at the gas station <laughs> where I would pick them up. And I remember one time having a guy... He, he said his pizza was late, so he called Papa John's, and they called me on a cell phone that I had, a flip phone StarTac, which I thought was really something, uh, Motorola StarTac. And they were like, you need to get there with that pizza. So we were, you know, in the middle of a session, so I didn't want to show up with a lot of smoke in the car, but I was like, I got to get there, right? So I pulled up, and the guy's waiting for me in the yard which no one was ever waiting for me out in the yard. So I pull up. I got three other guys in the car. I, I open the door. There's probably smoke coming out. I'm like, hey, how are you? You know, and uh, I open the back door, and the pizzas are in a bag sitting on my friend's lap. I open the bag. I give it. We never messed with the pizza, but I just can imagine what that guy was thinking. 
<laughs> I mean, four scrubby-looking dudes in a car, clearly smoking weed, and and that was that was fun for those reasons, you know. You know, there's part of him that thought he was going to kick your butt or make you think he was going to kick your butt for being late, but all of a sudden, four scruffy-looking guys who have nothing <laughs> yeah. to lose walk out of the car, and he's thinking, "Hey, you know what? How about just hand me the pie, and I'll be on my way." Yeah, I, you know what? That could be true. And I had some rough friends. I had a lot of friends that, you know, they, 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 you know, you may be familiar with this too, but in Opelika, there's a lot of textile mills. Uh-huh. So we would have these, you know, houses built around the mills and they call them the mill village. And a lot of my friends lived in the, I lived in the trailer park. A lot of my friends lived in the mill village and they were just rough kids. I mean, they were ready to fight, you know? Yeah. And they were always, we had a great time. I never really saw that side of them, but they, you know, a, unless they were fighting someone else, but it was always nice to have those friends. Nobody ever wanted to mess with you with, with a bunch of rough friends like that. They, they, they most of the time look like they just got into a fight. <laughs> Who had the most unusual name amongst your friends? I remember growing up with a guy named Andy Townsend. His name was, I, to this day, saying it out loud sounds wrong. His name was Wooch. That was his name. Wooch. To this day, he is Wooch. Well, we had a guy, his nickname was Turd. I never called him that. I, his name was Jared, but everybody called him Turd. I never liked it. I wasn't into it. We had a guy named Chubbs. You know, we had a, I had a homeless guy that lived with me for a while. He was about my age. And this friend of mine, his dad picked him up on the interstate. He was walking from Georgia to somewhere. And his dad picked him up. And my friend was like, I think you'd really like this guy. So he brought him over and he ended up living with me for a while. His name was Ryan, but we just started calling him Chuck. And that was his name. We just, he was like our own little pet. You know, he started living with us. We gave him a name. We gave him some clothes. And, uh, how, how do you st- how is Chuck? Now I'm kind of, now I'm kind of, I'm invested in Chuck. What happened to Chuck? Is he okay? Well, I'll, he left, he left at one. I had another friend named John and John got in trouble and he went off to Montgomery, uh, to stay with some relatives to, I guess he was running from the police and, uh, Chuck went with him. Because Chuck, Chuck's time was about expired. I mean, he wasn't really paying rent, and it was time for him to go. And I looked him up on Facebook the other day. I think he's living in Panama City Beach now. And I wanted to message him, but I was like, I don't know. It doesn't look like it's going that well. And I, I, and I don't mean... But I don't know. I'm just kind of afraid to get entangled up with people sometimes, you know? Oh, I completely understand that. I, I know a guy who I, I just loved ha- hanging out with him. The funniest guy, I, I, he was just hilarious. But, man, he would get weird and go to dark places. And I just yeah. I had to, like, unfriend him and just block him and, and go, I just can't, I can't take that in my life. You know, the, as we talked about earlier in the podcast, when we said that guy from the 90s, I don't know if I like him anymore. I think that guy, the, the guy I'm talking about, would still be friends with the guy from the 90s. But the, the, this guy who exists today, I just can't take those kind of people in my life. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, sometimes you do just got to move on from people. It's like, I, I, I think about some friends that I've had and I thought, you know, this guy will be my best friend for the rest of my life. And then a year later, we're not even friends anymore. And I look back and I go, that's probably good. <laughs> that's probably, that's probably the best. Well, you know, you've gone on this sojourn and I've done the same thing and I'm trying to teach my sons this. I try to surround myself with men who make me want to be better. And I am very proud that the, that my friends are better men than I am. And that's by design. Yeah. Right. Because they pull me along and make me better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my real estate agent, I've become kind of friends with him. I bought a house and, you know, I, I'm talking with him and, and it's like, I'm like, this is a grown man right here, you know, and I just and I find out he's like 10 years younger than me. And I'm like, oh, dang, this guy, this guy, this guy got it together quick. 
I kind of love those people and hate them at the same time. I'll sit back and go, you know, you meet these people who are just doing so much better at a number of things (laughs) than you are. And they're so much younger than you. And you're like, because it's different goals. I've got a friend of mine, a friend of mine whose goal when he, he told me when he was 17 years, years old, his goal was to be financially independent by the time he was 40. That was his goal. He's 43 now, and he is financially independent. And I'm like, who? Wow. But, but, but again, growing up where I did, and, and, as, and as poor as I did, I tell you the honest truth, Dusty, my goal when I went to college, my goal was that at some point in my life, if I could make $1,000 a month, I would be the richest person my family had ever seen. Wow. It, 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 and well, so it's just different goals. I mean, when you compare from where I started to where I'm at, my goodness, I'm a gazillionaire and I own the world and I'm going to take a Virgin Galactic flight into space, according to, you know, the, the, the time frame I'm on. But on his time frame, I'm not there. Well, you know, yes. And that's it's interesting because I was just telling my wife this the other day. I was just thinking about people that had helped me in my life that I'd like to try to repay in some way. And I was just, I got to think about when I was in high school, I went on this kind of retreat and I didn't have any money. I had a little bit of money. We all went to this restaurant and one of the directors there gave me $20 so I could eat. He did it very discreetly. He was very nice about it, but he wanted to make sure I would be able to eat like everyone else. And I remember thinking, I hope one day to be able to repay him that $20. I mean, I mean, I can't even fathom just thinking that $20 is that much money. But to me at that time, I was like, wow, this guy just gave me $20. Yeah. And it blew my mind. And, 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 and it, and it becomes such an influence. And what happens as you get older is you start realizing you can have that same impact. And I can tell you that that guy, if you were to talk to him today going, Hey, I don't need the $20, but if you can do it for somebody else, now you've done something. Now you've done it. Yeah. You know, that if, if, if you did the same thing for somebody and they said, here, let me pay you that $20 back 10 years from now, you'd be like, dude, I don't need the $20. You do right. something with it. You pay it forward. And that's going to matter. So, yeah. I mean, absolutely. And, and, and it's just like to think about, um, just, uh, yeah, I mean, I, we used to fantasize in, in Alabama. You don't even, there's no lottery, but we used to sit around fantasizing about winning the lottery. We're like, we don't even have a ticket. You know, <laughs> we're arguing about what we're going to do with the money. We would get into near fights about how we would split the money up. And I'm like, we don't even have it yet. We're having a fight about a fantasy's <laughs> fantasy. <laughs> yeah, we don't need the money. The lottery would have ruined our lives. I tell you, I remember, and I told this story, it's always, we were like 14 or 15 years old, we're sitting around one of my friend's house one day, and we were doing the same thing, talking about what we'd do if we had money, and I remember his sister go, if I had a million dollars, first thing I'd do is go get me a great big old double wide. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's different goals, it's different things. Man, I tell you what, I, I have so enjoyed this conversation, I so... I, I, I hope you will do this with me again. You've got your podcast, which, by the way, I didn't even get into. And hopefully the next the next episode we do, because I want to understand how you do your podcast. I want to understand the routine. I mean, I, I told you when you and I, when you first called me, I'm like, dude, I've got no agenda. I just know that you're interesting and I want to have a conversation with you. And I want to see how you do yours. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate it. I mean, I, I enjoyed talking to you, and I uh, told uh, Alan Rommelfinger after we got off the phone how much I enjoyed talking to you. So, and 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 I enjoy a lot of the radio calls that I do. But I, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys that day. Well, and, I uh, just love your comedy. I love your humor, and that was my thing. Is I sit back and I deep dive on you guys and hearing the stuff, hearing about again. We'll go there and go check out his bits. Go to his website, uh, the mattress. 
the mattress kills me. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's just one of the best bits, one of the best. Because I told you we started off. I love comedians. I love crafting. I love seeing how you crafted the joke. I, I can almost see where it started and how you kept molding it to just, I'll trim this layer of fat off and then I'll put this over here. Oh, and this phrase, instead of saying it here, I'm going to move it over here. I can just, I can envision the entire way you created that bit and I loved it. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, I really like that joke. It grows people out sometimes so i don't do it that often but um it's all true i had a disgusting mattress and um when i quit drinking that was one of the first things i got rid of i threw it in a dumpster outside of a bar and uh i had a bar right next to my apartment complex and i was i woke up at like 3 a.m one time and i was like this mattress is disgusting and i drug it out of the house and it was so pliable it folded over and i was able to stuff it in the dumpster <laughs> Dusty Slay, you, you got the Netflix. You're on Netflix, the Netflix special, and uh, you'll look him up. Go to his website, go see him live. And I just, like I said, enjoy his podcast. I know you're on the Jay Cutler podcast. That was funny. Uh, and, and I just had the best time. Please, please come back and do this with me again. Yeah, I would love to. I'd love to keep it going. This is really great. Thanks for joining us this week. If you love this episode, please subscribe, download a few more episodes, and please leave a review. Reviews really help us get this out to more people like you. Also, we'd love to hear what your favorite part was. Be sure to join us on social media to engage in even more unexpected conversations. Until next time. Until next time.